0: Good morning, church. Good morning, and good to see everybody, and good to see some new faces I just want to welcome, and good to see our worship leader return safe and sound. I like your hairstyle. That's nice. Yes, yes, I need one too. Anyway, uh, it's good to be here, and uh, I know that uh, as we come together, the, the greatest struggle we all have in our lives is loneliness. Wouldn't you agree with that? Uh, Trust me, I'm not lonely, I'm just telling you, that's a big struggle. We all need friends. So today we are going to talk about our faithful friend, who our faithful friend is. You know, Apostle John has been giving us various portraits of Jesus in the chapters we have gone through. Now, it was not difficult for us to think of Jesus as God, as the Lord, as the sovereign master who controls our lives, or as the great shepherd, or the sacrificial lamb, and many more. They're all entirely acceptable by all of us. But as we dive into today's text, and Apostle John reveals to us another portrait of Jesus as my faithful friend. Can we say the word faithful friend? Faithful friend. Yes, you heard it right. That's exactly what John is saying here, To consider the Lord Jesus as friend is entirely another matter. We have many acquaintances in life. I know that we have very few friends. I'm sure that you'll say yes to that. Because it's hard to find a true friend. There's a great saying. They say, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. Have you heard that? I know as parents, we are very careful who are who the friends of our children are. We are very protective of them. I know when I have kids, I want the, the friends to come to my house, not because I love them, because I want to know who they are, so they can have their fun in the basement. I know that we want our kids to be surrounded by children who can be of good influence. And parents, that's the reason why these youth meetings and Sunday schools are very important, Because they come to a safe environment where they can have good friends, they can grow together, who can be like iron sharpening iron in the church. By his or her friends, we can judge the character of a child. Won't you agree with that? Of course you can, you will. So listen, if I if I say, just for hypothetically, if I say Joe Biden is a good friend of mine, you're going to look at me differently. Some of you might want to come and shake your hands with me because I'm a friend of Joe Biden. Because of who my friend is, because a friend can make you or break you. But just come with me for a moment. If I say, guess who my best friend is, and it is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, how does that sit with you? When I make that statement, Think about it. And what does it tell about me? And that's what you're going to learn today. Now you wonder how is it even possible to be friends with someone who lived 2,000 plus years ago? Because a friend is somebody you want to touch, feel, and you have that warm and cozy feeling. Think about this, church. Now, none of you here would say or would claim to be friends with someone who has already lived and died only a lunatic would claim to be friends with julius caesar i'm talking about today or martin luther or abraham lincoln you might know that you might know a lot about them you would have read a lot about their biographies and all these kinds of things and their contribution to human flourishing but to say that you are friends with these people who are long since dead is crazy. You wouldn't do that. But here is Jesus who lived on earth physically 2,000 years ago. But Apostle John portrays Jesus as a friend. But a friend of an entirely different sort. So you ask, how is that possible then, Pastor? If I may ask what would you expect in a true friend? If you are to brainstorm for a moment, you would say he must be faithful. He must show tender love and care, the TLC. Or you must, you must say that he must be able to stand by me, with me, and for me. He is the one who should seek my best interest and who would be praying for me and who would be patient and long suffering and who will always tell me the truth and this can go on and I want you to know church this morning that the great news is that Jesus does all this and more each one of these characteristics of a faithful friend is true of Jesus now the question is you would still ask pastor that may all be true But how is it even possible to maintain a close intimate friendship with someone whom I can't see? Someone who lived and died 2,000 years ago. And that's what we are going to learn today. We are going to approach this text in two ways. First, before we examine the text, we all have a notion about who a true friend is and should be. So let us see what traits we see in Jesus that fits into this category of a faithful friend. And then what we are going to do is we are going to look at the text for today and we'll see what the Lord is saying about this friendship and what does it mean to be a friend of God. So firstly, a close friend would know me intimately. Won't you agree with that? Of course you will. Jesus does that because he knows me intimately. Jesus is just as much alive today as he was when he walked the earth. Jesus sees and knows everything. I want you to personalize this message. That's when you will appreciate who this friend is. In the the book of Job, it says, for his eyes, the eyes of the Lord are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. But look at this passage. It says that, the psalmist says, you keep track of all my sorrows. Wow. That's our Lord. There are times you might wonder, I'm weeping, there is nobody to listen to me. Isn't it comforting to know that the Lord who created you, he keeps track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Now that is a true friend. It's a true friend. And he is at every moment aware of every word we speak, every thought that passes through our minds, every circumstance we face day in and day out. Not even your closest earthly friends can do that because Jesus is omniscient. Everybody say the word omniscient. Omniscient. He knows everything, He sees everything, He sovereignly rules over every detail of your daily existence. So He is my close friend because He knows me. Secondly, a close friend would be with me always. Would you agree? Of course, Jesus does that because he is with me always. Although Jesus is not physically present on earth, he is spiritually present in us and through the indwelling presence of the person of the Holy Spirit. He has not abandoned the disciples and he has not abandoned you and me. He is here with us and in us at all time through the Spirit whom he sent to indwell us. Jesus is closer, than, closer to me than my very best friends. He's closer to me than my very own wife. She's closer to me than my children and my parents, even my pastor. So before you make that 911 call to a pastor or somebody else, know that the Lord is next to you. Is that comforting? It's comforting. In Psalm sixteen eight, this is what we see. I know the Lord is always with me, always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. I'm never alone because my friend Jesus is with me always. Isn't that comforting, church? Always. I may not have my parents, my children, my spouse, my family with me always, but still the Lord is with me. So he is my close friend because he is with me always. Thirdly, he is my close friend. A close friend would be communicating with me always. Won't you agree? Be talking to me all that, always. And Jesus does that because he always communicates. He constantly communicates with us. We are in commun- communication with Jesus through our prayers. When we pray, that's what we are doing. We are communicating with God. He hears every groan, every sigh, every request, every utterance, whether spoken or in silence. Church, I don't want any of us to feel that the Lord does not hear our prayers. We are challenging the Lord's ability to hear us when He makes those statements. What He does with our requests is a different thing, but He hears us. We are also In communication with Jesus when he speaks to us. How does he speak to us? Through the word. Now, I'll give an example. Jesus is speaking to you and me right now. From a passage that we are going to look at today. I'll bring it up now. This is what Jesus told. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. It's as if Jesus is saying to us this day, my son, my love for you is unparalleled. It is immeasurable. That's what he's telling you. He's telling me as much as he's telling the disciples. It is eternal. It is greater than all the love that you will experience on earth. And he's saying also, I went to the cross for you and suffered the wrath and judgment of God that you deserve to suffer but now you will not. Do you get it? He's communicating, he's talking to us. This is him speaking to us. The point simply is that Jesus sustains our close and intimate friendship with him by listening when we talk to him in prayers and by talking to us through the scriptures and through the voice of the spirit who lives inside us. So I'm saying that Jesus is a close friend because he constantly communicates with me. Fourthly, a close friend would be praying for me, won't you, won't you, as a close friend? Jesus does that because he intercedes for me. He constantly prays for us. You know you have a good friend on earth when they commit to praying for you, perhaps weekly or, or even daily, and but sometimes you forget. I know I will admit I sometimes forget to fail to pray for every one of you. Sometimes we do. We don't mean it in a bad way, but we do. We are human. But not Jesus. He does not. Look at this passage in Hebrews 7:25. It says, "Therefore He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him." And who are these people? The believers he's talking about. Since he always lives to do what? Make intercession for them. He is interceding for you and I. He never fails to do that. So I'm saying that he is a close friend because he intercedes for you and I. Fifthly, a close friend would be protecting me. Won't you agree? If you are a close, you will protect your friend. And Jesus does exactly that. He protects us. He is an ever-present friend and because he lives to keep us safe. You know, there's a beautiful psalm that we have. God is my refuge and my strength. Psalm 91, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Paul puts it so beautifully in in Romans 5.10. Look at this passage. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, so we have become believers now, much more, having been reconciled to believers, we shall be what? Saved by his life. What is Paul saying here? In Christ's death that reconciled us to God, now that we are reconciled, we are saved and protected by his life. That's what Paul is saying here. The life of Jesus at all times during your earthly existence serves to keep you safe and secure. I know I have two guardian angels I always take with me on my mission trip. Why? Because they protect my testimony. I know I have a true friend who protects me always because he will always see to my good testimony. But they too can fail. Because they are human. But Jesus will never. So he is my close friend because he protects me. And lastly, a close friend never abandoned me. Never abandon me. Jesus does that because he never abandons you. You know, Paul articulates this truth from the prison. Look at this passage. At my first defense... How many people has Paul touched by his ministry? And look at his last statement before he died. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. But all deserted me or forsook me. May it not be charged against them. That's the heart of Paul. Beautiful, isn't it? I had so many friends. Everybody abandoned me. Then he says what? But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. What powerful words concerning the friendship of Jesus with his people. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me imagines Paul's plight and discomfort. Church, were you ever felt abandoned by your closest associates? Only a true friend will stand with you you all know I met with a very near fatal accident when I was in my early 20s. I used to play, loved to play cricket before my accident. And here was a cricket match. And because of my condition, I was placed as an umpire. And I was not playing because I couldn't run and I couldn't do anything. I was an umpire in the middle of the field. My good friend, he was a Muslim, And he was in the pavilion because he finished batting and he was in the pavilion. And the match was going on and I'm equally excited even though I was limping and and couldn't do it because I'm excited to see the cricket match going on, I'm umpiring. And all of a sudden it started to rain. Everyone ran towards the pavilion. I could not. I started limping. Guess who came running to me? My friend from the pavilion. He ran to the field in the middle of the rain. And he came next to me and walked with me to the very end. As till I reached the pavilion. That is friendship, isn't it? But he too can abandon me. But Paul says, the Lord will not. So he is my close friend because he would never abandon me. So we looked at six things very quickly. A traits of a true friend. And we, and we saw that he knows me intimately. He is with me always. He listens and counsels. He intercedes for me. He protects me and he never abandons me. With that introduction, let's dive into today's text. Open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at chapter 15, just a few verses from 12 to 17. From 12 to 17. As we turn our attention back to this, I want us to see six things here that Jesus himself says about what it means to be friends with him. What it means to be friends with him so and also i want us to see how should we respond to this friendship with the lord jesus christ six things six truths concerning that number 1 let's look at verses 12 to 13 jesus says this is my commandment that you love one another as i have loved you greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends so, the first observation, let me tell you what the observation is the cause of our friendship is his sacrificial death. The reason we are able to be friends with God is because of his death. Our friendship with Jesus is only possible because of the sacrifice he made for us on the cross. That's what he's saying here. So, the sacrifice is the expression of his love. And our friendship is the fruit of his sacrifice. Let me repeat that. The sacrifice is the expression of his love. And our friendship is the fruit of his sacrifice. That's what Jesus is saying here. But Jesus' statement provokes two questions here. What was it about Jesus dying for his friends that made it an expression of his greatest love? What is it? He died on the cross. So how is that the greatest love? How can we say today, know that when Jesus died for the cross, it was the complete expression of love? How can we say that? The answer obviously depends on what he did in dying for us, church. What he did. When Christ died on the cross, he suffered the penalty of God's judgment that we deserved. And in doing so, church, listen to come come with me. He satisfied or regained the favor through the wrath of God against us. That is what the theologians call the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. Now, that is love. That is love. Think with me, church. What makes Christ's death for us the expression of a love beyond anything anyone could imagine? is that in dying in your place and in my place, he delivered us from eternal damnation. He delivered us. In dying in your place as your substitute, he exhausted himself, the holy wrath of a holy God, and secured your eternal forgiveness of sins. Our relationship is only possible because he died for us while we are still sinners. There has never been a greater, nobler, more costly display of love than that selfless moment when Jesus died for us on the cross. Now tell me, church, does his death mean something to you? As I was reading this, I was truly, truly convicted. So deeply, the Spirit was telling me At times, you belittle my death. I felt that way. At times, you don't understand the gravity of my death. I want us to do one thing right now. Shall we all close our eyes for a moment? Just in an attitude of prayer. I'm just going to make some statements. I just want these statements to sink in. Just close your eyes. Please. It was my weaknesses that he carried. It was my sorrows that weighed him down. He was pierced for my rebellion. He was crushed for my sins. He was beaten so I could be whole. He was whipped so I could be healed. I have left God's path to follow my own. Yet the Lord laid on him all of my sins. He was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was unjustly condemned. He was struck down for my rebellion. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone. He was buried like a criminal. It was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief for my sake, for our sake, so that we are freed from eternal damnation. Open your eyes, church. What does it tell about you? About our Lord? This is true love. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend. What a mighty God we serve. He died in your place. Unless you appropriate his death, you will never enter into this friendship. That's why the Lord said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So let me ask you a question. Does his death mean something to you this morning? What is your response? Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So the question is do you believe in him this morning? Let's move on to verse number 14, the second observation. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Is a very complicated statement here. The confirmation of our friendship, let me tell you what I, what I am taking from this and I'll explain to you. The confirmation of our friendship is our obedience. In other words, our friendship with Jesus is confirmed and seen in our commitment to do what he has commanded us to do. Look at this verse very carefully, church. What is the meaning of the word if in this verse? You all have English scholars and you can look at this and say, what does it mean the word if in this? Does Jesus mean that you must do what he commands you to do in order to become his friend? This is one possible meaning of the word if it is the sort of if that we have in mind when we speak a cause produces an effect for example this way if you give me enough money i'll be able to pay off my mortgage i literally mean that please church okay <laughs> if you will be nice to me i will i will in turn be nice to you is that what jesus is saying here by no means That's what Jesus is saying. Here in the word, Jesus uses the word if to give an expression to a confirmation or proof that something is true is an effect that confirms the cause. Let me explain to you what that means. If your sugar is under control, what does it mean? The medication is working. You understand what I'm saying? Or if you are in remission of your cancer, it means the chemotherapy has done its job that's what the Lord is saying here a typical biblical example is let me bring this passage here in Hebrews we see for we have come to share in Christ that's the effect if indeed what was the cause we hold our original confidence firm into the end so going back to this verse number 14 in other words this text you are my friends if you do whatever i command you jesus is not saying let's make it very clear if you do what i command you it will lead you to become a friend with me that's not what jesus is saying here he is saying that if you do what i command it it proves that you are my friends do you get it it's different it confirms the truth that you are my friend Doing what I command is the fruit of evidence that you are truly my friend. Let's make it simple for you to grasp, church. So Jesus is saying something like this. You can be assured that that you are my friend and that my death counts for you if my love for you and my death for you, that's the cause, have transformed and motivated you to love others just as I loved you. That's the effect. So if you love other Christians as I loved you, you are giving evidence that my death has had a saving, life-changing impact on you. And in this way, you demonstrate that you are my friends. Look at Peter's transformation and his testimony in the book of Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled and they realized what? That they had been with Jesus. There was a cause and the effect. Let me ask you a question here church. Will this be said about you? That you have been with Jesus. In your home. In your college. In your workplace. In your neighborhood. Even in the church. Does your walk demonstrate your deep friendship with Jesus that's the second observation that I make here let's move on to the third one I'll bring up the passage before we do the next verse I want us to come back to verse number 15 again I'll bring it back if you read this passage someone might easily misunderstand and conclude Must follow along please That Jesus is saying, we must do what he has commanded without hesitation or thought. Because after all, we are only his servants or his slaves here to do his will. Someone can misunderstand or misinterpret this verse this way. But Jesus, in the next verse, he quickly refutes any such notion. Look at verse number 15. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. So the third observation, let me tell you what the third observation is, that the consequence of the friendship is knowing the will of the father. In other words, our friendship with Jesus is seen in his loving disclosure and revelation to us of the heart and the will of our Heavenly Father. So Jesus quickly refutes here and he says this. He's saying, you are not like slaves to me to do whatever you are, but you are my friends. You are my friends and you can be assured of this by virtue of the fact that I'm not hiding anything from you. That's what the Lord is saying here. I reveal to you everything my Father has shown me or spoken to me. In a relationship between a master and a servant, church, the servant will be kept in the dark always. His relationship is one where the servant is simply asked to do whatever the master tells him. There is no intimacy. There is no sharing of life. There is no mutual love and fellowship or friendship. But the sort of friendship that now we have with Jesus, he has made known to us the nature of our Heavenly Father. That's what he's learning here. He has disclosed what the Father is like and he feels for us and he has promised to do for us. So Jesus is not satisfied with servile obedience but with motivation that comes from love. So Jesus gives full disclosure to his friends. If you want to know what the Father is like, all we have to do is look at Jesus. If you want to know how the Father cares for people, we can look at how Jesus ministered to them. If you want to know the Father's will for our lives, we can listen to Jesus' words and know they reveal the Father's truth. So the question I want to ask you is this, church. Are you looking to Jesus in your victories? Or are you saying it's all mine? I did it. Are you looking to Jesus in your failures or are you seeking restoration from the Lord? Are you you looking to Jesus in your struggles? Or are you seeking worldly solutions? Are you looking to Jesus in your weakness or and, and resting on his grace? He will reveal the plan and purpose of God for your life. That's the third observation. And the fourth observation is found in verse number 16, the first part of it. The Lord says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. So the observation here is the commencement of our friendship is his sovereign choice. It's not your doing, it's not my doing anything. Our friendship with Jesus is the result of his sovereign choice of us, not ours of him. What does Jesus mean by this? This applies to all of us, the believers, who are now called to be the friends of Jesus. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Not one of us are a believer by chance. Not one of us. We are purposely loved so that we can respond to his love. And he has appointed you that you would go. So each one of us need to engage the world, wherever God places us. So Jesus is telling us that then the ultimate reason you found my message appealing and chose to take up your cross and follow me is because my father and I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, worked in your hearts to give you a saving knowledge of who I am. That's what he's saying here. In other words, it is his sovereign choice that worked in selecting us and setting his affection upon us and empowering us to do what he has commanded us to do, and that grants us the friendship. So what's your response? So if on this day, church, if you are still not a believer, I'm not talking to believers now, If you are still not a believer and there is a sense of calling, there is a sense of conviction in your heart, please do not harden your heart. Please do not harden your heart. Please do not leave the sanctuary without committing your life to the Lord. That is is a calling from the Lord. Come to the altar, surrender yourself to his call. That's the fourth observation. And the fifth one is, is, is found in the second letter part of verse 16. Uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give you. People love the second part, of last part of it, and they interpret it any way they like. Let's be careful how we read this passage of Scripture. So the, 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 what I'm observing here, the commission or the charge of the friendship is to bear fruit. You are called to bear fruit. Every believer, not the pastors only. Our friendship with Jesus commissions us to do something. It must result in our bearing fruit of godly living. That's what he's saying. Go and bear fruit. This means that God wants to be us to do something special through our lives so that he can use us to bear fruit. What are the fruits we are talking about? We looked at it a couple of Saturdays, Sundays before. This is sanctification. It's, the, it's the exhibiting or emitting the, the fruit of the Spirit and serving others. That's what he looked at last time. That's the fruit we are talking about. And in order for you to bear the fruit, you need to do what? Abide in Him. Abide in Him. And then if you read the last part, now from that context, you the, read the last part now, so that whenever, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He may give you. You can't take this passage and go and say, God, I need a BMW tomorrow. In the name of the Father, I am asking. That's not what this passage is telling us. Jesus is promising to answer our prayers so that we can get the job done. And what is the job, church? Bearing, say it again, bearing fruit. Ask, he will give it to you. Jesus promises to answer prayers that seek His will and wisdom for us to bear much fruit. Jesus ties this promise to give us what we need with the quest to abundantly bear fruit. We should expect to meet up with obstacles and impossible situations as we want to bear fruit. But He'll help us overcome when we pray. After all, it's His honor is at stake. When you are bearing fruit, He chose us, He appointed us to live in obedience. That's what He has commanded us to do. So let me ask you the question Is your priority in life to bear fruit? Sanctification. Or is it the spirituality? Or is it serving others? How would you measure this in your life? What is your desire in this earth? And the final observation that I have is verse number 17. These things I command you that you love one another. He's coming back and connecting to where it started. So let me say what it is and I'll explain to you. The conclusion of our friendship. To glorify the Father. To glorify the Father. Our friendship with Jesus concludes in bringing glory to the Father. Why am I saying that? Because in this verse, in verse 12, we see that these things I command you so that you will love one another. That is the evidence of bearing fruit. That's the evidence of bearing fruit. We should also remember that the ultimate end or goal in our bearing fruit of love and godly living so that the Father may be glorified. And praised and seen as majestic and holy. Why do I say that? We've seen that in verse number 8. Jesus said this, by this my father is glorified when that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. So when you bear fruit, who gets the glory? He gets the glory. So the ultimate aim in Jesus choosing us and dying for us and calling us his friends, empowering us to bear fruit of godly living so that the Father might be honored and be exalted and praised. So that all glory, honor, and praise be given to them. That is why we are called by his name. That is why we have been created. Go back to Isaiah passage, why you and I have been created. Everyone who is called by my name. Who are these people? The believers. You and I. Whom I have created for what? For my glory. I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. All glory to him. Can this be said about you? Is Jesus your true friend? Or your friend of Jesus? So we looked at six things here. So let me close with a couple of questions here, please. So would Jesus call you his friend? He would if you are loving others, especially those in your home and in the church. He would if you are seeking to obey his commandments. He would if you are growing to understand the truths revealed by the Holy Spirit. He would if you know that he chose you to bear fruit that remains. He would that you are seeking to bear fruit through prayer. And if you wonder, how do I know if God has chosen me? The answer is, have you believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you have, that didn't come from you. You believed in him because in love, he chose you. So he gets all the glory. So as I bring this message to a close church, we looked at his friendship. I want all of us to leave this sanctuary. Today. I'm talking to the believers, knowing that you have found your faithful friend. A faithful friend. And we are, he, he is our friend because of his sacrificial death. And the reason, the confirmation of the friendship is our obedience. And the consequence, as a friend, you will know the will of the Father. And the calling is His sovereign choice. You did not choose Him. He chose you. And the reason He chose you, so that you can bear fruit. And bearing fruit is going to be difficult for you. Living a sanctified life, living a life where you can emit the fragrance of Jesus, or exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, or serving others is going to be difficult. But the Lord says you pray in my name, I will strengthen you. I will answer you. When you do that, you bring glory to Him and Him alone. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that we have found our friend in Christ. And I pray that every person in this sanctuary will say and echo this prayer as their personal declaration that I have found my friend in Christ. And along with that come a responsibility. Father, we know that it's not our choice, that you have chosen us. And there is a calling. We are called to bear fruit. And when we bear fruit, there are going to be obstacles in our lives. And I I thank you that you have promised to give us answers. We thank you that you have promised to sustain us through and help us to bear fruit. So that ultimately, all glory, honor, and praise are given to you. So be with us, O God. And help us to be faithful friends of Jesus. In the mighty and the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen.